believe that you can build an amazing life of significance by serving fewer, wealthier clients extremely well. We also believe you can do it faster and with less effort than you ever thought possible. Let us show you how to race up the hierarchy of advisor success. Welcome to the Preeminent Financial Advisor Podcast. I'm Paul Loftys at CEG Worldwide, and at CEG, the number one coaching firm for financial advisors, we believe you can build and have an amazing life of significance by serving fewer but wealthier clients and doing it extremely well. CEG Worldwide is a coaching firm that helps financial advisors accelerate their success and build simple yet elegant wealth management businesses that are indispensable to the right affluent clients. And I'm Catherine McBreen from CEG Insights. CEG Insights was born of a strategic fusion of two industry powerhouses, Spectrum Group, a leader in affluent investor research, and the research team of CEG Worldwide, the number one coach for financial advisors. With over 20 years of affluent investor research and extensive coaching experience, CEG Insights empowers senior executives to engage with financial advisors, sharing insights and actionable steps for sustainable organic growth. Well, the great big welcome to everyone out there. My name is Paul Lofties. And I'm Catherine McBreen. And it's great to be here and see all of you or sort of see all of you here at our podcast. Yeah. So welcome, everybody, to the Preeminent Advisor podcast. And, you know, this is the podcast that is sponsored by CEG Worldwide and highlights the great research that's done by Kathy McBreen and her team uh, that really delves into the mindset of investors, best practices of top advisors, and we take that research on this podcast and make it really actionable for you so that you can really understand the strategies that will help you have an amazing business and help your clients have an amazing life of significance. So, so happy you could join us today. Kathy, before we get started, I, I can't wait to hear just a little bit about your international travels to Italy. Oh, we last, had so much last, fun. Yeah, tell me about it. It was beautiful. I mean, I don't know if any of your any of our listeners have been there before, but I was really thrilled to go. We went in October. The weather was perfect. And we went to smaller cities instead of the big, really crowded cities. So it was really delightful. And um, obviously the food is great as well. So yeah. We can't complain. <laughs> so when you say you went to smaller cities, is there a particular region or a spot that you that One you of like the places we went to that I really loved is a city called Sorrento. And okay. I it, I you know, recommended to anyone. My daughter is actually studying there in Sorrento. And I was pleased that it was the one I actually liked the best because it's very arty and clean and safe feeling. And, and just like very, like, it has that little villagey kind of, you walk down the streets and there's all kinds of cute little shops. So it was a delightful place to say it's right in the ocean with the beautiful views and cliffs and all that. So yeah, sounds everybody like a, should go. Sounds like a dream trip. Yeah. Trip of a lifetime. Trip so. of a lifetime. Well, a, a trip of a lifetime ties right into uh, our our topic today, Kathy. Absolutely. And because what we're going to be talking about is some of your great research and specifically focusing in with what we're seeing. A This is just such a huge trend that we want advisors to be aware of. And it is the importance clients are attributing 
to having a meaningful life or living a life of significance and the role that they expect their financial advisors to play mm -hmm. in that. Right. So, uh, Kathy, tell us, remind our listeners a little bit about the research, the survey, and kind of the demographic that you were studying before sure. we jump in and talk about uh, the specific results. The research we're talking about today was done with about roughly fourteen to fifteen hundred wealthy investors with um, more than more than a hundred thousand dollars of investable assets, but not more than twenty-five million. And as I've said before, we try to skew heavily on the over a million dollars of net worth. And when we define net worth, it's it's everything except your the value of your primary residence. So it includes the value of your um, 401k, it includes the value of your business. So it's it's net worth. So yeah. And, and, and so tell us here, and uh, for those that are on our video feed, I'm just going to highlight real quick the uh, the the results or the graph uh, from page 18 of the, the report, defining living one's best life. So as, as you studied, uh, you know, these investors, again, heavily skewed towards higher net worth investors, how did they define their best life? What was important to them? Well, the most important thing for 79% was being financially stable and secure. So clearly that's a way that the advisor needs to be involved and ensure that they're feeling that way. But the second most important thing at 72.5% was having fulfilling relationships with family and friends. So you can see how those two things interconnect. They want to feel safe, but they really want to be with their family and care about their family. Um, the third most important at 68.6% .6 was maintaining good physical and mental health. And then 65.2% it was being financially self-sufficient. So those were the top, top um, ways that people define living their best life. And sometimes they they vary somewhat by, by age, they vary somewhat by net worth, but this was overall the totals. And I think it's pretty consistent with when you talk to high net worth individuals, what it is they're thinking about. I mean, we have a whole skew of other things if anyone gets the chance to look at the whole um, the whole chart, but like living a life with your values was at 52.4%. Um, being able to retire early was important to 23.8%. So there's a whole list of different different things that are important to, to people in building what they call their best life. Yeah, I, this, this survey or this research that you did was obviously done in the context of uh, it, that it was a wealth management study. So it's not surprising that a couple of the top responses have to do with, with finances, you know, stability, mm -hmm. security, um, financially self-sufficient. But it's, it's, you know, what should advisors note uh, in the fact that these other two items are ranked so high at the top of the charts, the 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 meaningful relationships and then physical and mental health. Um, I think that advisors need to know that it's something that they need to ask about because they're all kind of linked together. I mean, you want to be able to make sure that they have the assets to pay for any special medical needs that they may have, or even to like, if they want to climb Mount Everest. I mean, if that's the way that they feel healthy, that's the kind of things that they need to be able to do, as well as making sure you understand the relationships between the the investor and his key, the key parts of his family or other parts of his life that are important to him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Kathy, I, what what advisors today that are preeminent should really be thinking about is how can they connect the dots and bridge the gap to help these high net worth clients use their wealth 
to enhance their relationships. Yep. And to to your point, one of the basic you know building blocks is advisors in the discovery process have got to understand and ask those questions about who are the important relationships. Uh, don't don't take for granted. It's just immediate family members. You know, certainly we hope that that's the case, or that's going to often <laughs> be the case. But who are the other important relationships? Why are they important? Uh, what is it that the advisor, excuse me, the client really would like to solve for those clients? And okay. and then healthcare. I I just see this one more and more, Kathy. This desire for higher net worth clients uh, to be able to uh, access health and wellness programs, concierge mm-hmm. medicine. Um, I had a good friend of mine that just had a serious medical emergency. Uh, fortunately, he's going to be okay. But his his comment was, you know, what does all of this wealth do for me if I can't use it to access, uh, you know, top top line uh, resources? Absolutely. Uh, and, and he was able to do that, and it, you know, partially saved his life. So advisors should be thinking about how their network could expand to include these uh, relationships in the health and wellness field uh, to, to really help, you know, round out that network for their, for their clients. Absolutely. Now I want to ask this as well, or move on and ask you about the next piece of data that was in here. Uh, it, Cause it was kind of a similar question, but a little bit different yeah. defining a life of significance. So you ask the clients, what would make your life significant or how do you define significance? So what did you find here? Well, we tried to stay away from sort of the financial pieces of it because it's really more about your morals and your ethics. And as you can see, the most important thing for them, for people in living a life of significance is having meaningful relationships with their family. And that's mm-hmm. not surprising. And that's a good answer, right? Living a life of integrity and being true to one's values was second at 59%. So just below the 60% at the one below. And that's also a good thing. It, it talks about the moral and ethical importance of people in living their lives. Taking care of people the investor cares about was third at 58%. So that's a really important conversation for advisors to have with their clients. It's like if something happened to somebody, whether it's an aging parent or a child that has disabilities or even a relative of some type that's having some issues, that's something that an advisor needs to understand what's important to this person and how to take care of them. And then the other answers are, you know, they're all nice, continuously learning and growing at 30%, giving back to the community, basically 25%. So all of those things are about more of the emotional parts of wanting to be successful or living a life that you feel in the end will mean something. Yeah. And at top of this list, was uh, uh, basically a similar answer about the meaningful relationships. So right. we, we just keep seeing again with the higher net worth investors that as they define success, as they define significance, this idea of meaningful relationships ranks as high as, as anything. It's right up there with uh, economic stability, security. Again, and this is in the context of a wealth management study <laughs> that they're, that they're, that they're saying. Absolutely. So here's here. Okay. For everybody out there that's listening, this is all very, very interesting information to, to this point, but here is where we get to really the heart of the matter in, in the true insight, because what you next asked in the research is were questions surrounding 
how would a client feel if their advisor was more actively involved in helping them achieve these items that they said were of significance or help define a meaningful life? And what did you find out? Well, not surprisingly, because we've been seeing this in our research a lot, um, the more an advisor asks individuals about their non-financial goals, the more likely that an investor is to move more assets to them. However, it varies significantly based upon age. So as you can see here, um, the millennials, 38.4% of millennials are likely to move more of their assets to an advisor who asks them about their non-financial definitions of success. That's a pretty large percentage. And Gen X isn't far behind at 34.6%. Now, baby boomers and World War II, they're just not used to this concept of discussing non-financial things with their financial advisor. So it doesn't necessarily move the needle for them to say, I'm, I'm going to move, I'll give you more assets if you ask me these questions. And I don't know if it's because they have such deep relationships already, or if it's just because it's a, you know, people didn't talk as much about emotional issues in older generations. I think that's probably fairly true. Let's let's look similarly at this piece of data here. Uh, likelihood of moving assets uh, to an advisor who asked about non-financial definitions of success. Because this cut sure. the this cut that question a little bit different based upon net worth. Right. So you can see here those with a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand and five hundred thousand to a million dollars. Roughly thirty percent of those individuals are more likely to move assets to an advisor who asks about non-financial definition of success. So let me say that generally these tend to be younger people. So that makes a lot more sense. But then those with 10 to 25 million are also more likely at 23.3% to move more assets if you ask questions about non-financial questions. And let me also point out there that we have a skewing in the... Um, high net worth um, population where we have a really lot of the significant number of young people have a significant amount of wealth. Those people in the, what I would say, one to 10 million range, a lot of times those, I'm not saying it all the time, but they tend to be your baby boomers in World War II people are tend to be more in that one to 10 million um, range. So it makes sense that they're kind of, their answers are very similar to the answers of the baby boomers in World War II a little bit more. Obviously there are some younger people in the one to 10 million range. But um, it makes sense that people early in their careers or people who've been very financially successful are the ones that are most interested. Whereas the people who are more kind of in the moderate middle-class millionaires, I guess they would call them, yeah. um, they're yeah. less likely to be um, thinking about some of these issues. Yeah. So let's let's dive into this uh, because I actually brought this up at, on, a, at, on the stage at a speaking event recently. Um, you know, 10, 10 years, a decade ago, uh, people would come in and they would talk about the millennial demographic or even Generation X demographic um, in their behavior traits as it compared to, uh, you know, or excuse me, uh, baby boomers and the greatest generation. And I used to joke, I didn't care. You know, we, we, we weren't at our wealth management firm at that point, super concerned about that demographic because they didn't, that, that they didn't have a lot of money and they are increasingly making up larger amounts of the wealth demographic and as as you pointed out Kathy a lot of times they're the fastest growing segment in that 10 million and up market space and 
advisors keep in mind that the five to $50 million market, but especially this 10 to 25 million market, massively underserved in, in our research. Uh, they, they have real complexity to their financial life. They're not large enough yet where they're on the radar of uh, family offices, but this is a group that is really, really underserved and advisors have the great potential to work with if they orient and customize their practice to it. And so the, the data is saying, again, uh, it was interesting that it was kind of people under a million were saying, yeah, we love this best life stuff. Um, but then it had that barbell effect. But when it got over 10 million, you really saw the importance of that break out again. And that demographic is calling out for what we call, Kathy, you know, the virtual family office structure, you know, where an advisor can uh, advise them and connect them with a network of professionals and include in that network, you know, the healthcare, the the wellness expert uh, can, you know, organize events for the family, like if they're a business owner, you know, family meetings, that stuff is really, really high on the list. Of right. The There's more interest now too in education for their children in that demographic as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's look at one last piece of data here. So when asked here, if my primary advisor became more involved in helping achieve their best life, what was the overwhelming result? Well, I think that you can see, it was a little more surprising with the um, would like it, but would not move any more assets. That's the 28.5% are the, um, um, World War II and the the gen the baby boomers, you know, a quarter of them won't. But the younger people, like 14% of the millennials and 19.7% of the Gen Xers, are more likely to move assets because they would like it. And a larger percentage, 61.6% of millennials said that they would really like it and they would consider moving assets. They're not promising they would, but they would definitely consider moving more assets to that advisor. And then um, you have the the similar types of answers from the other generations. For those that would dislike it, there's only a few that would dislike it. And um, those are very 13.3% total would dislike it if you ask those questions. 8.7% said they would move assets away. So I guess you need to be a little bit um, cautious regarding what types of the personality of your investors. Um, and 22.8% of these investors were neutral about whether you asked or not. So it didn't seem like it would make a lot of difference. So I think overall, if you look at the totals at the top, would like it and would move assets and would like it and would consider moving assets, that's basically, um, you know, just around 50% roughly would really like it. That's a big, that's a big number. That's a big number. And we have uh, another question where it was asked, uh, will you increase referrals? Would you increase referrals if your advisor asked about various aspects of, you know, living their best life? And it was pretty much across the board, regardless of the demographic, 25% said, yeah, I would. So when it, when an advisor, you know, shows that level of interest and is trying to connect with advisors or clients to really help them have an amazing life of significance, apparently it affects the client's view uh, on their willingness to try to connect them with some of their most meaningful relationships. So I guess the overall recommendation is why wouldn't you ask, you know, it's rarely that it would really hurt you. There's only a very small percentage of the 
investors that would be offended by it. And I think you'd be able to tell who those people are pretty quickly. Yeah. So to summarize today, you know, what, what we saw is the importance, especially in the higher net worth market, of the value that clients are placing on non-financial things. And, and kind of two that just really stood out were uh, using one's wealth to enhance their personal relationships and also let's call it health, health and wellness. And then when we looked across the board about whether those uh, clients would be more favorable to moving assets toward an advisor that did that or would move more assets, the numbers were really, really positive. Uh, also very, very positive towards uh, asking for referrals. So the lesson is incorporate these things into your business. And just some things to keep in mind, you know, you want to make sure that you're asking the right questions uh, as, a, as an advisor during your discovery process. Make sure you're finding out about those relationships. Make sure you're finding out about their goals, concerns surrounding health and wellness. You want to have a network of other professionals. And again, some framing that we find very successful in the higher network market is the virtual family office, where the advisor uh, is the primary relationship manager, but you know then has a, a network of, of great professionals in various areas. And it's increasingly important that some of that network is beyond kind of just traditional wealth management, like the concierge doctor, uh, the family meeting coordinator. That type of stuff is really, really valued by, by higher net worth clients. And then, Kathy, when it comes to referrals, uh, I always encourage advisors to think about when it comes to referrals, make an assumption that the person that the client that you're talking to knows someone just like them. And it's the who do you know, not do you know anyone? But you know, for your for your clients, you know, once you engage with them in these, what is their best life, having an amazing life of significance. It's great to say, I love working with you. If I had 10 people just like you that I could make a difference for, that would be amazing. Who do you know that's just like you? And that can be very successful with connecting you with a lot, a lot of great, great contacts. The other thing that I would add is really important to not just ask these deep discovery questions at the beginning of the relationship, but to continue to, to ask those questions as your relationship develops each time you meet. Yeah, it's really important to keep asking those key key questions. All right, well, Kathy, great insight from you. We really appreciate you sharing the results of that study with us of, uh, of you know what clients are saying about the importance of uh, living their best life, having an amazing life of significance and how they are defining that. Well, that will wrap us up. I want to remind everyone, if you would like a copy of the report that we discussed today, I encourage you to go out to www.cegworldwide.com forward slash podcast hyphen report. And if you do that, you can get your copy of the Play to Win report. We also encourage you to check out our Play to Win consultation where you can connect with one of our great coaches at CEG Worldwide. They'll do a quick, quick uh, diagnosis on, on your business, what's important to you, and give you some great ideas about how you can play to win and take advantage of some of the great trends like we talked about today. 
Well, Kathy, that will wrap it for us. I look forward to seeing you next time.